lovely to be with you again and to be able to share fellowship and bring God's word um, in a place uh, which had such a, an affection in the hearts of my parents and uh, uh, therefore in myself as well. It's good to be with you again. Isn't the book of Acts wonderful? It tells us a wonderful story, as Luke says, right at the beginning. It's the story of what the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, continued to do through the power of his spirit uh, in making uh, known the wonderful message of uh, salvation. You remember how at the beginning uh, when Jesus commissioned his disciples, he told them to take the gospel message, the message concerning him from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. And you've seen, as you've been going through this book, how the church grew so rapidly in Jerusalem. 3,000 converted on the day of Pentecost, 5,000 soon and more. And even when there was persecution, when Stephen was stoned, that served only to drive the message out so that it was taken to Samaria. And uh, the message was preached there and people were converted. Taken to Ethiopia through the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, still the message is spreading. Peter, driven to, to go to a, a centurion in Caesarea and preach the message to him. He and his family saved and saw the greatest persecutor of the church met with the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and become an apostle a preacher of the message which he sought to destroy. Things seem to be going well. But in the passage you were looking at last week, we see how Herod sought to put an end to this wonderful story. James was uh, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And Herod, King Herod, seized him and had him executed. And seeing how that went down so well with those who opposed the Christian message, he sought to do the same for Peter. He put Peter in prison, intending to execute him also. But God sent an angel to rescue Peter, to bring him out of prison at night, so that as we pick the story up today, we read that in the morning when the guards woke up, the soldiers woke up, they couldn't find Peter. Imagine that. He'd been sleeping overnight between two soldiers in chains with guards at the doors and when the soldiers wake up in the morning, Peter's not there. What an extraordinary thing. And they're not only confused these guards are deeply troubled for they are responsible for bringing Peter to Herod in the morning. And as a result of them not being able to produce Peter, their own lives are taken in his place. Who is this Herod who tries to put an end to the work of the gospel. 
He's not the Herod we hear of in the Gospels, not the Herod who, who uh, beheaded John the Baptist or had him beheaded, not the Herod before whom Jesus was brought to trial, but his half-brother, but equally a bad lot. He bore the title, this Herod, of King of the Jews. That's what he considered himself to be. The Romans had allowed him to be king. And he considered that the whole of the Jewish area was his dominion. And he hated and feared those who preached concerning the Lord Jesus. Because they were declaring that this Jesus, who had been crucified with that title of mockery above his head, the King of the Jews, was indeed the King, the promised Messiah. That he had been raised from the dead and that he was now giving new life and salvation to all he came, who come to him. Herod hated this message, for it was a threat to him and his power. He considered himself to be king of the Jews. He wanted no rival. And so he sought to get rid of those who preached the message. He took Peter and had him imprisoned and hoped that would be the end of the matter. But it isn't. How did Herod feel when he found that Peter had slipped away? He must have been not only deeply angry, but he must have felt that he had now come up against greater powers than his own. He thought he had all power but he couldn't even hold someone in prison overnight. He saw that the living God was fighting against him and the living God had released Peter. So we read that Herod went from Judea to Caesarea. He goes there to think, he goes there to try and recoup his uh, reputation interesting isn't it as he goes to Caesarea I wonder whether one of the captains of the guard for him there at Caesarea was Cornelius the Christian centurion interesting isn't it that's just hypothetical but I wonder if that was the case he just couldn't get away from them But he hopes there in Caesarea to regain his reputation. A little way away in the cities of Tyre and Sidon, there are those who are troubled because uh, they've fallen out with Herod. And Herod, controlling the whole area, the fertile area where grain is grown and food is grown, they know that he holds them captive, really, and they want to be reconciled to Herod. So they send some representatives and talk to his uh, chief um, representative, uh, Blastus, the king's chamberlain, as it is in the authorised version, and um, arrange for a meeting. And Herod says, yes, bring all your people and come and meet with me. 
And there on this special day, all of the representatives from Tyre and Sidon meet with the king. And he comes out in all his finery and uh, begins to make a speech to them. And we read that as he addresses the people, they shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. They wanted to flatter him, to as it were stroke him and, uh, uh, and say, yes, you are all powerful, you really are. You may have failed at Jerusalem, but we think that you're not, a, not, not just got human power, you are like a god. That's what kings in those days wanted to hear. Caesar, of course, proclaimed himself a god. And Herod wanted the same status. So how does he react? He doesn't say, no, 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 no. But he rather laps up this estimate of himself that he is a god. But only for a moment, because we read, immediately because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. Now I find this very interesting. The very phrases that Luke uses here are very interesting. An angel of the Lord struck him. Where have we heard this phrase before? Does it ring any bells for you? Well, you'll find it in the passage you were looking at last week. In Acts chapter 12, and in verse 7, we read, when Peter is in prison, also sleeping between his two guards, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in his cell. He struck Peter on the side. An angel of the Lord struck Peter. Struck Peter to wake him up and bring him out of prison. And now an angel of the Lord struck Herod to wake him up to his own folly, but also to bring for him the sentence of death which he sought to bring on Peter. I think sometimes, if I can put this reverently, God has a sense of humour, doesn't he? For the very angel of the Lord who delivered Peter from Herod comes now and strikes Herod and brings that sentence of death on him. It's interesting that we have corroboration for this event. A Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, writing toward the end of the first century, recounts this very thing that happened. He says how Herod was uh, giving a speech to the folk from Tyre and Sidon and he was struck down with extraordinary pains. And apparently it took him six weeks to die, but die he did. I don't know whether he came to his senses in that six weeks to realise something of what it means to cross the living God. Well, it's against this background that we read in verse 24, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. 
The word of God continued to increase and spread. This is the story of the book of Acts. And no one and nothing can stop the word of God increasing and spreading. You can stone Stephen, but the word of God increases and spreads. You can send out Saul, the Pharisee, to destroy the church, but God turns the whole situation around and makes him Paul the apostle, through whom the word of God will increase and spread. And that's what we read right here in the next verse. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Saul, Paul. If you, re if you remember the situation, Barnabas had been sent by Jerusalem the church at Jerusalem, to see what was going on at Antioch. Many Gentiles were coming to faith. And Barnabas was concerned that uh, he wasn't able to teach them all on his own, so he went and found Saul, who'd become Paul the Apostle, to help him in the work. Just before this incident, they'd gone on a visit to Jerusalem to help the church there, to bring supplies and news. And now... We read they're on their way back to Antioch. Barnabas and Saul or Paul. They're on their way back to Antioch and with them John, called Mark, who will later write the first of our Gospels. And in chapter 13 that you'll come on to, I assume in a few weeks' time, maybe next week, I didn't study too carefully your programme, but you'll find the way in which there Paul and Barnabas and Mark are sent out as missionaries to take the word of, of life to the cities around the whole of the Mediterranean. The word of God is spreading and increasing and no one and nothing can stop this going on. I did notice though, looking at your preaching programme, that you're going to have a new series shortly on the big picture. And it's good to see the big picture, isn't it? For this is the big picture, the story of Scripture, the story the Bible tells. This is God's world. He made it, and he made it for himself. He made us that we might know and love him. But it's a world that has gone terribly wrong with people wanting to be gods to themselves, like Herod. Herod wasn't the first. Adam was the first, who wanted to listen to the voice of Satan and wanted to be a god to himself. You can be like gods. And it's the tragedy of human history ever since that people want to be gods to themselves. But the living God has not written off this sad and broken world. He sent the Lord Jesus into this world, his own beloved Son, in order that he might redeem the world and bring it back to himself. And Jesus there at Calvary took all the hatred and brokenness of this world upon his own shoulders. He bore the judgment of God in our place. He bore our sin in his body on the tree in order that we might be forgiven 
and through his resurrection from the dead, he has power to give new life. He is the resurrection and the life. He has the power to transform lives. A soul into the Apostle Paul. He has the power to take lives of those who would be gods to themselves and bring them again to bow the knee to the living God, to bow the knee to Jesus and own him as Lord. And that's the story of the book of Acts, of how the word, the powerful word, the message of Christ crucified and raised from the dead is able to touch and transform lives and bring people out of darkness into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God will not be content until every knee bows to the Lord Jesus, until the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. How will God do this? by his word and by his spirit. The word of God continued to increase and spread and it does so still because the message concerning the Lord Jesus Christ is not just empty words. It is accompanied by the powerful working of the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ raised from the dead in order that people might be brought out of death and into life, made new. And that work is going on all around the world today. The book of Acts will finish when Paul arrives at Rome, but that's not the end of the story. It runs on through all the centuries since and is going on now as the word of God continues to bring people from death to life. Doesn't mean that everything always goes well for Christians. Stephen was stoned to death. James was executed, even though no doubt God's people <laughs> prayed for him just as much as they did for Peter. Doesn't mean everything always goes well, but it does mean that no matter what happens, in good times or bad, God will continue to execute his purpose of bringing men and women to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus and to find salvation in him. What do we learn from this passage this morning? I want to bring to you in application this morning four B's in closing. Four B's. And those are these. First, be humbled. Be humbled. We need to learn, don't we, that we should bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. There's a little bit of Herod in each one of us. A little bit of a desire to be a God to ourselves. A little bit of delight when other people speak well of us and put us on a pedestal. We need to recognise that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we need to bow the knee to him. He needs to have the glory 
in every part of our lives. You might say, well, I've recognised that, I'm a Christian. But there never comes a moment when we do not need to submit again and again and again to the Lordship of Christ. For there is continually that fallen spirit within us that would rise up and want to make ourselves Lord again. There are bits of our lives, I'm sure for every one of us, where we want to retain control and say, Jesus, I'll serve you in this area, but I want control in this part of my life. We need to be humbled. Jesus needs to be Lord of all of our life, of every part of our life. This word of God that continues to increase and spread needs not only to touch the lives of many others, but it needs to touch our life again and again that it might increase in us so that we might be filled with a passion for Christ and so that the word of God might fully shape our lives in every area of our life to make us more like Jesus. May God help us each one to recognise those areas of our lives where there is something where we're holding out on Christ, as it were. In one of the, an old hymn by William Cooper, there's a verse which I often bring to memory myself as a prayer. The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. We want God to strike down sin in our lives, the little Herods in our life, in order that he might have all the glory. Be humbled. But secondly, be encouraged. It's easy for us to become discouraged, I think. In this country today, when we see churches closing, and when perhaps we do, would love to see more uh, power in the work of the gospel and we become discouraged I was quite discouraged recently for many years um, I ministered in a church in Walthamstow 25 years ago we left there and we had a Christmas card in it to say that there were 14 people now meeting in that church when it had a membership of 65 when I left and that's terribly discouraging isn't it and you think, well, is that, is that the future? Will that church close? We need to be encouraged to see that whatever may happen on a small scale, God's purpose will not fail. His purpose is that through his word and by his spirit, a countless number will come to know him, the living God, through the Lord Jesus Christ will bow the knee to him. Be encouraged. We should be encouraged by stories like the church in China to remember that there may be those who seek to oppose the work of God and to shut it down, but theirs will not be the last word. God's word is the last word. He will triumph. Christ is Lord and will be Lord. And thirdly, 
be prayerful. Be prayerful. Be prayerful for those who are in places of opposition, like North Korea or Islamic countries today. Be prayerful for Christians on the firing line, that they may not lose heart, but may be continually encouraged through God, by his word and spirit, to press on in preaching of Christ. Be prayerful for yourselves. Be prayerful for those you know, your loved ones perhaps, who are holding out on Christ, who are resistant to the word. Be prayerful for them, for the word of God is powerful and God is able to save. Be prayerful. And lastly, be active. Be active. The word of God continued to increase and spread. How did it increase and spread? It increased and spread through people. Through people who told others of the Lord Jesus. Whether that was at Jerusalem, or in Samaria, or in the deserts when Philip spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch, or whether it was in Antioch, or in the towns that Paul is shortly going to visit. It was by speaking of Christ that the word of God increased and spread. Let's not be ashamed of this word. Let's not be ashamed of the Saviour. Let's take every opportunity to speak of him knowing that he has the power to take our faltering words and to use them to touch and transform the life of others. May this then be our confidence and our experience. The word of God continued to increase and spread.